This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine, you're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty and uh, welcome to 2019. Fantastic to be back with you all for another year. We've missed you over the summer. Hopefully you've missed us as well. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Anthony Boxall. And I'm Dr Surf. How are you? I'm good. Oh, brilliant. I'm wonderful. Happy really to be good. back. Good to be back. Isn't it? What's that? Happy to be back. Yeah, I'm happy to be back too. I am too. <laughs> Another so, year. So is Kent. He's very happy. He's out there. He yeah. looks happy. Do we, can, we, can we first acknowledge um, Sir Timothy? <laughs> we had to genuflect on our way in. <laughs> if you don't know, and I'm sure everybody knows by now, Tim got an Australian Day gong and an OAM, an Order of Australian Medal. I'm now hereby referring to him as Lord Timothy. Well, it's nice of that the someone, someone who earned it yes, got it. Yes, exactly. Not a politician. Someone who's actually given up their, you know, their really enormous amounts of their life to the community mm. and in a genuinely constructive way. Mm. And I just think, yeah, politicians, great, whatever. Sports people, great, whatever. But, you know, genuine, the tireless workers for community mm. radio. And I think it's sensational, Timothy. Mm. Hear, hear. I hope he gets, like, free business class travel for the rest of his life. <laughs> He's shaking his head. I don't oh. think they do. I would have hoped that too. <laughs> do we have to refer to him as Sir Timothy, though? Is I, that the, I, well, hasn't it been 
bumped up from sir to lord. <laughs> <laughs> Your royal... Your royal highness. <laughs> I don't think he's an HRH yet. He's not? He's got to get a dukedom first. He might, he might actually do better than some of the current ones. If he, well, anyway, I just will leave that alone. <laughs> I think each time we're on, we should just bump it up another notch. <laughs> it's got a top hat somewhere, though, isn't it? Like <laughs> emperor? I don't know what it... What's the, what are they using? Star Wars? Yeah, Emperor. Yeah, Emperor, Emperor, Emperor at the end, isn't it? Yeah. Emperor Thorpe. Now, where do we go from there? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Tim. <laughs> it's all right. We'll bring you bring you back down a couple of rungs on the left. No, no. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks also to um, to Tim's guests, um, particularly Uncle Jack. Charles and Namilla Benson, who were both in, and another plug for um, the show, their show, which is coming up, Night with Uncle Jack, kicking off on the 8th and 9th of February in the Spiegel Tent. Great location. Mm. I went and saw a Christmas gig at Spiegel Tent. It was awesome. Um, with Cash Savage and also Uncle Kutcher Edwards at another show as well. But the other uh, thank you, so there you go. Um, make sure you get along to that. And uh, of course, our other thanks is to um, the good people from sport, a Sporting Discussion who've been looking after you over the last six weeks while we've been on our summer break. So um, yeah. many thanks to uh, Dono, who is a, uh, a mega hurt player champion in his own right, <laughs> um, to AJ and Bridget and Jason last week as well. So thank you so much, guys. Um, great radio over the summer. Yeah. Should we go through the program? Why don't we? Let's go through today. Uh, Dr Surf. Yes. You have lined up our first guest. I have. I'm, I'm declaring 2019 the year of women in surfing. Because you know me, Brian, I've got my finger on the pulse of the local zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to laugh quite so Sorry. Much. You mean uproariously the both of us burst out? Yeah, sorry. Look, credit where credit's due, this was Jay's idea. And I thought, well, let's do it. So we're going to have a series of um, interviews throughout the year um, highlighting the, the various aspects of women in surfing. And the first one we've got is the is Lisa Hunter from Monash University in Frankston. Yes, and uh, also the Institute for Women Surfers. And there's a conference on as we speak. I love that there is an Institute for Women Surfers. Mm. I want to get a job, but you know I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> I don't, I'm I'm sorry. I could be yeah. an emeritus. Uh, no, you couldn't. <laughs> no, I got way more earrings than you, and I, there's no way I could. <laughs> You kind of tick one of the boxes and I tick the other one. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Maybe we could put in a, a, a joint job. application and job, job. share. <laughs> anyway, Lisa's come, is, is going to join us. Yes. yes. First up, we're going to have phone. a quick chat about the, the conference and the institute. Yep, brilliant. Uh, we are then going to be... We're jumping around all over the place today. We're going to go from Frankston to... Now, it's either Cairns or Townsville. Um, regardless, it's likely to be very wet. Yeah. Um, hopefully, she has a, uh, a line available. Heidi Taylor, Heidi Taylor, sorry, from Tangaroa Blue. And we're speaking with her about an event which is taking place next weekend around Port Phillip Bay, um, Nurdle Hunting. And it's uh, being known as the Great Port Phillip Bay Nurdle Hunt. It's part of Operation Clean Sweep. And it's an invitation to anyone out there to take part in an event where you can go down to your local beach or your local creek or river or waterway and see if you can spot any nurdles. So nurdles um, are little tiny plastic pellets. I was just going to say, maybe we should say what they are just in case people are thinking, <laughs> what, we're going to go out and look for computer nerds? Yeah. <laughs> like it's like a, a special name for computer nerds. Yeah, like budding computer <laughs> yeah, nerds. Nerd, nurdles. Nerdles. <laughs> um, so they're the base product that's used in plastic manufacturing. They're tiny, tiny little pellets. 
they're only um, oh, maybe two or three mil um, in diameter and uh, they cause a huge problem in the marine environment because they can get into waterways very, very easily and very quickly and make their way out into the marine environment. So um, this Nurdle Hunt next week is uh, to draw attention to that but also to invite you to participate. Uh, we'll speak with Heidi about that and then, very exciting, we're jumping from far north Queensland <laughs> to far, about as far south as you can go. Absolutely. Dave Donnelly, uh, who is a well-known guest, friend of ours and will be known to you from Killer Whales, Australia. He's on board the um, CSIRO vessel, The Investigator, as part of a huge expedition down into the Southern Ocean, down to Antarctica, looking at the relationship between krill um, nutrient cycling and uh, blue whales in particular, but they're really not that fussed. They're looking at other whales' migration patterns. Sensational. So, um, and so because we felt that we just thought, why not start the year with a technologically challenging interview? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk to someone live in Antarctica. That's it. Basically. So Dave and I spent half of yesterday emailing <laughs> each other going, oh, should we try this and should we try that? And he's, we've gone for old school sat-nav phone. Hopefully it's going to work. We tested the lines at quarter to nine and they seemed great. So all we can do is go on that and cross our fingers and hopefully catch up And if they don't, we'll just, we'll just do whale song. Because <laughs> I've heard Dr. Seth, you do a great whale song. I do. Song. You do. Uh, yeah. I do the angry whale song. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm almost half let's, hoping let's, that Dave's not available. No, no I'm not. <laughs> I'm really no, no. hoping this works. Um, weather. Weather. Dr. Weather, Surf. It's, I'm going to do the weather today and it's hot, 22 to 39, but a late yeah. change. I've got a funny feeling that change is going to come in a little earlier than they think, uh -huh. so I'm expecting <laughs> down Sorry, my way about 3 o'clock. Is that based on... Just you know, looking at the sky, man. Oh, looking at the, the shape of the clouds and getting the vibe. You old surfers. <laughs> well, who anyway, needs a meteorology entire bureau? The good news is, uh, speaking of the bureau, how accurate have they been? In Unbelievable. And I'm and actually the next show. I'm going mm. to talk about some of their big climate predictions I think and how big, bloody accurate that's been. A big too. up to the bureau yeah, because they have been spot on. Anyway, today's going to be 39 with a late change, and then we're in for a, a spell of quite pleasant weather, where the maximum for the next seven days is only going to be 27 on Tuesday, 27 on Wednesday. Oh, sorry, 29 on Thursday. That's not too bad. Anything under 30, I think, is pretty reasonable. Yep. And and I'm just going to finish by saying, in my old life as a scientist that worked in uh, horticulture. My boss used to say 20th of Feb, plus or minus five days, is when the change comes. Mm -hmm. In other words, the, the night temperature drops below 18. Acceptable level. And it becomes yeah. acceptable. But mm. it, this year, who knows? Well, we just had the hottest January on record. Yeah, well, it's, not, it's meant to hang around. Mm. So with the Indian Ocean Dipole doing what it's doing, with the hot air coming across the country and the little El Nino build-up... <laughs> Never know. I'm hoping longer. those monsoon rains come down, not to oh, us, no. but to the middle of Australia, and then it cools it all down and we'll be right. Yeah, well, yeah, unfortunately they've been pushed the other way. Oh, well. The Indian Ocean dipole's moving it the other way. They're against each other. The Pacific and the Indian Ocean are <laughs> fighting it out with monkey in the clouds. <laughs> Next. <laughs> he says, probably just offending a whole lot of people there on a, on a Sunday morning, their religion and their culture. I don't know. Should we In play? Late 1970s yes. TV that was pop culture. It was a great show. It was a great Terrible show. camp Japanese pop culture. It's fabulous. And the nature of monkey is irrepressible. <laughs> okay. You know, there's a new one on. 
Uh, it's on it, Netflix. Oh, yeah. I, I watched the, about three minutes of one episode and went, nah. It is the most extraordinarily camp thing. Like it's, if you thought the first one was... This is just so outrageous, oh, the camp. It's has fantastic. it got Pigsy? Yeah. Tripitaka's a girl. Pigsy's a girl. Or is it Sandy's a girl? It's all, it's all kind of, you know, like a bit more modernised and it's just outrageous. It's so over the top. Oh, I've had a look. I love the concept of modernised ancient folklore. <laughs> Yes. But I suppose you could look at Thor and True. a lot of yeah. what's going on with Marvel. Anyway, that's where we're yes. entering into another show's we territory are. right now. Um, uh, what shall we do, music? Can I play a bit of music? Great. So we're going to... Um, uh, this is actually Radical Sun, Earth Boy and Trials and this is a this is a reinterpretation of uh, the amazing Archie Roach. No, no, no. That's a, a rebuild of Archie Roach's amazing No 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 by Radical Boy Earth. Uh, sorry, Radical Sun Earth Boy and Trials. You're on Radio Marinara. It is 16 minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. Indeed, it is. Now, uh, as with many sports, the growing respect and interest in women's competitive surfing is gaining momentum of change with the past few decades. This weekend, a conference is in full swing examining this and other issues related to women's relationship with surfing, both competitively and otherwise. Lisa Hunter is from Monash University and the Institute for Women Surfers. Her area of research focuses around women and surfing. It's with great pleasure that we welcome her now. Lisa Hunter, good morning and welcome to Radio Marinara. Morning, Bron, and Dr Surf, I believe, is there as well. I am. Morning, Lisa. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, and we have Ant with us as well. Ant. G'day, Lisa. Hey, <laughs> uh, look, first up, thanks for stepping out from your conference organising today. I know you've got a super busy weekend underway. Let's start with um, the Institute of Women's Institute for or uh, of Women's Surfers. I'll get you to clarify that first up. Can you tell us all about your institute? Yeah, it is. It is for women surfing um, and women surfers. Uh, so it's a grassroots political education that brings together um, activists, artists, filmmakers, writers. Um, educators, academics, scientists, organisation leaders, government and non-government organisations to talk about women surfing and the place that um, women have. Um, you know, they do lots of work around um, that contributes to surfing and collaboratively how we can enable that. So the institute that we're running here is the, the, for the first time it's in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it's a, a chapter of two other groups, one in uh, the USA and another in... Yeah, so it's a global... I didn't realise it was a global organisation. How long has it been around for? Uh, the Institute's been around for a few years in terms of the um, the American um, organisation. Uh, I think it's seven years, might even be longer. I know Chris Tacoma, who was one of the co-founders, um, and Elizabeth Pepin-Silver, who is the filmmaker that we brought out this year, um, as part of the Institute, they've known each other for 20 years. You well, know, uh, some of these things take a while to hatch. Yeah, definitely. But it has been around for a long time and it's global as well. Um, this, guy, I guess, taps into your area of expertise. I was having a look uh, at, at some of the links that you put up um, with some of the papers that you've written. What, what do we know about women and surfing? And how do you think it differs to the relationship that men may have with surfing? And I guess the question leading on from that is, does it? Is there actually a gender difference? Um, well, 
it depends on a lot more about that question about whether there's a gender difference or not. In some aspects, yes. In other aspects, no. Women have been participating in surfing for as long as we know surfing history, and that came from oral history in Polynesian places. And, you know, there, there are lots and lots um, is being understood now that people are asking the question about the history of surfing. Um, a lot of people only know about modern surfing, which is about 100 years old, um, but that women were very central in surfing, very competent, very strong surfers and very revered. And in the last hundred years, some of that's been lost, it's been absented. Um, and, and part of what our work is, is to rediscover those stories and help tell a history that's been either forgotten or erased. Yeah, interesting. So focusing on that cultural shift between where things were in a traditional sense to, I guess, that era that um, many of us are familiar with, sort of kick-starting with that Gidget era in the 1950s moving... Dr Surf? 64. Oh, 64, was it? Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, Dr Surf's just corrected me on a time thing. It's 64. I had it in my head. It was in the late 50s. Uh, The book came out in the late 50s. Yeah, right. But the movie was the thing that changed everything. Yeah. Brought in the Gidget yeah. era. Yeah. yeah. And that's where timelines can get a little funny, can't they? Uh, what influences are actually um, happening? So part of the uh, theme for this year's um, institute was around visibility. And, and uh, certainly the Gidget films and series that came after the book um, had a significant, significant influence, particularly on Californian and USA uptake. But that also uh, influenced what was going on in Australia. But Australia had already started its own uh, surf history well before then and um, as did some other countries. So even excavating some of the history around that, I was doing work in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where um, most of the early surfers are still alive, the women. So we were doing an oral history, audiovisual history project with them. When you say most of the early surfers, is this sort of in a public sense? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about women in the late uh, 50s, early 60s who started to take up surfing in Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, much earlier in Australia, the early 1900s, um, and challenges to the Latham Duke Kahanamoko story that's been a popularised myth. Um, talk us through the conference that you've got on this weekend, Lisa. I'm really interested because um, I know you've got some international speakers and um, Dr Surf was telling me earlier that um, and I'll, uh, the, 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 um, to be present at this conference this weekend, you need to actually be speaking. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, we, we ran a no-cost conference in order to uh, be inclusive as many uh, people who... Um, could come. Uh, the deal was to come for the weekend and it was something that continued to build and it was very much about relationships and sharing information um, and it's assumed that people knowledge and how can we work together to build that knowledge so as a return uh, people were asked to do a skill share that could have been a 10 minute explanation of what they do in their organisation. It might be a contribution of skills. So, for instance, Laura Alfrey ran a beach activity and a water activity on Friday afternoon that very much talked about place and uh, Boonwurrung and Boonwurrung uh, history of this area, as well as where were the surf breaks compared to Frankston Beach and some of the issues that we deal with um, around Port Phillip Bay and Western Port Bay. 
Now, you've got three main themes to your presentations and discussions. Uh, I note down there's visualising social change, art, culture and activism. Uh, and um, and there was a third one as well, which has dropped off my notes sheet. Um, can you talk us through roughly what your presenters uh, will be speaking about? Um, well, some of them uh, had a slot where they were talking about um, specific topics such as you said the theme visualising social change so there uh, Professor Krista Comer was talking about building alliances um, I talked about reimagining surfing and that was a little bit of about the visual history of surfing and where do we go from here um, and Elizabeth Pepin Silva, the filmmaker I was telling you about, she showed her films last night um, but she also talked about telling new stories through visual mediums we also had, um, in terms of that social change, Rusu Kolotti from uh, Vanuatu, as well as Steph Mahook and Arlene Maud, and they work with a group called Saltwater Sisters, and they talked about coral farming and ocean-based art advocacy, and um, a little bit about female activism that's going on in Vanuatu through their surfing association. Uh, the second session, um, we had um, our local celebrity, Fiona Cap, with talking about her uh, book um, from 2003, That Oceanic Feeling, which for me was a significant publication that told us something about women and surfing in Australia, but more broadly, uh, but also up this idea of age and surfing and um, you know returning to surfing as an older person and that was backed up by Barb Humberston from the UK who talked about diversity in surfing um, both in but also in the type of boards that get included when we talk about surfing and then we had um, some great women talking about um, ocean mind and surfing uh, the spectrum that was about um, autism and the policy development that's getting done through um, NDIS, for instance, so that we can really have a look at what are the effects of surfing on things like autism. What I'd like to do, Lisa, is uh, talk with you off air and um, organise some times um, into the future to line up some of the speakers who are at your conference and uh, and have you, um, if possible, come into the studio and explore some of these areas in a lot more detail because every single one of them I could talk about, for, we could cover for at least sort of 15, 20 minutes. They, they all sound fascinating. So are you up for that sort of at some point in, in the near future? Yeah, for sure. Um, I myself, when the, uh, some of these uh, shorter skill shares are on, I'm thinking, well, we need a whole conference where these people have 30 minutes. Um, we've just got so much to learn and so much is going on in surfing and women contribute so much um, that it's about, uh, you know, as I said, collaborating, supporting each other and recognising not just individually but all, all the work that women do. And that sort of reads into the next two parts to the theme around the respect and action so instead of, you know, debates about sexualisation and exploitation, which are still important things on the board because they keep re-happening, uh, particularly with popular misogyny, but certainly um, recognising the work that they're doing and giving that some visibility is, is what we're on about. Fantastic. Uh, if people want some more information, is there a website they can go to in the meantime, somewhere where they can look, some more, uh, look up some information before we get you back in studio? Uh, yeah, sure. Hopefully we'll be posting information from the uh, speakers, but there is some up on the website that's the Institute for Women Surfers. 
um, instituteforwomenspurpose.org. That's the larger organisation that includes the European and the American chapters. Um, more specifically for here, it's um, the Institute for Women Surfers Oceania on Facebook. Fantastic. Or contact me directly at Monash. That's great. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, I will endeavour to do that this afternoon and uh, we'll organise for you to come back in uh, or to come in at some point in the near future. Thanks so much for joining us and good luck with the rest of the conference. Thanks very much for having me, Bron, and we'll see you down the surf, Dr. Surf. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thanks. thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye for now. Lisa Hunter there from Monash University and the Institute for Women Surfers. Gosh. That is just such a diverse array of topics. That is sensational. I, know, I don't know about you, my brain's going ping, oh, ping, wow. ping, ping. Let's Especially, cover this. it just reminded me that when she was talking about autism and surfing, the Disabled Surfers Association dates. Uh, yes. Mornington Peninsula, Saturday 16th of March. There's one on today down at Ocean Grove. If you've got nothing to do, head on down to Ocean Grove and help out. The next Ocean Grove one is on in a month's time, Sunday the 3rd of March. Bass Coast, Saturday the 9th, next Saturday, and 23rd of March. So write those uh, dates down and come on down. The last one we had at uh, Morning Peninsula, we had over 300 volunteers. Uh -huh. It was wonderful. Gee, that's sensational. Brilliant. Indeed, you are on 3RRR. It is 29 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. And um, if you were imagining that you might want to head out and, you know, find a wave somewhere, here is the surf report. It's not bad. <laughs> the end. That and was the, it. <laughs> uh, look, the wind's got a bit of north-northwest in it. The swell is not big. In other words, it's about three foot, maybe four foot. If you go down to um, the Mornington Peninsula beaches, it'll be a little bit side shore. I wouldn't recommend going down to Phillip Island because there's still a big bushfire down at um, oh, Grantville and mm -hmm. the, the road was closed yesterday morning. Yeah, last night now. too it was. So keep away from Phillip Island. Um, and, or if you want some reasonably small clean waves, go to the Torquay area. That'd be, be quite nice. But be mindful that there's a change coming through round about two-ish down there. When but you say reasonable small, what, what do you mean? I'm talking um, about waist high for yeah. a normal man. Yeah. So nice little waves. Yeah. The water's 21 degrees, guys. It is like mm. a bath. And yeah. I, I had the great pleasure of paddling out before dawn on Tuesday morning, watching the sun come up, and it was literally like being in a warm bath. Mm -hmm. Nice. And it actually got waves. Nice. It's been a bad summer. Don't, don't <laughs> tell anyone where that was. <laughs> no, it was beautiful. <laughs> anyway, look, there's good waves. I would recommend getting down today because the rest of the week's looking pretty shabby. And that was a surf report. Mm. So I was just I was doing that. Um, we're we're going to play some music. That was my appalling attempt. I feel attempt like I'm on Fox surf. FM. <laughs> that was my appalling attempt at giving you an intro <laughs> song <laughs> tune. Um, we're going to play another track. Uh, now, this one's a bit of, a bit of soul. It is. It is a bit of soul. But this, is, this is from 1967. Eddie Purell on the Stacks label. It's gorgeous. And then we'll be back with Nurdles. Nurdles and uh, Heidi Taylor from Townsville. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Indeed, you are on Triple A. It is 25 minutes to the hour of 10 o'clock, 25 minutes to the doctors. Indeed, it is. Now, next weekend, 
the Great Port Phillip Bay Nurdle Hunt will run from the 8th till the 10th of February across Port Phillip Bay. As part of Operation Clean Sweep, folks around Port Phillip Bay will head out to their local beach, creek or river and see if they can spot any nurdles, small plastic pellets used as a base ingredient in the manufacture of plastic products. Tangaroa Blue are right behind the Great Port Phillip Bay Nurdle Hunt, which they hope will generate data to contribute to the Australian Marine Debris Initiative. To tell us more about it and how you can get involved, we now welcome on the phone from sunny far north Queensland. Is it sunny? We'll find out in a second. Founder and director of Tangaroa Blue, Heidi Taylor. Heidi, good morning. Welcome back to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be back. Now, is it sunny? Um, actually, I am not in far north Queensland oh. right at the moment. I'm in um, central New South Wales. It's glorious. But um, I did did speak to my team up in Townsville and they said it pretty much hasn't stopped raining for about the last four or five days. So um, there's plenty of rain up there. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, before we get into it, we had a, a greetings to you from, and I guess this shows how national we are with this program and we're about to go international after you down to Antarctica. Um, Peter from Warrnambool passes on his greetings to you. Oh, lovely. Awesome. <laughs> now, I gather he's involved in uh, in some of the great community advocacy work you do down there. Yeah, we've been working with the Warrnambool community now for almost a year on uh, finding ways to reduce marine plastics in their local community. So running not only um, beach cleanups and data collection, but source reduction plan workshops. So um, the community down there are just so committed to, to trying to reduce plastics in the ocean. Awesome. So a big, uh, big shout out to Peter from Warrnambool from us here in the Triple R studios too. And uh, and also he wanted to send a shout out to Colleen Hewson who, from uh, Good Nurdle Hunting. Can you enlighten us on that one? Yeah, well, she was one of the driving forces um, to, to address the nurdle spill when it happened down there um, in, the, in last year. And it's been amazing work um, watching her bring the community together, not only in the removal of these nurdles, but really pushing to find out why they were released and, and ways of stopping it. So, again, uh, I think Colleen also just won an Australia Day Award just recently. So congratulations um, to her. But some great work going on down there. Uh, it's Dr. Surf here. I've just got a quick question about nurdles. Are they uh, broken down bits of larger plastic or are they actually little pellets that are used in the manufacture of plastic? And, and how do they get in the water? So nurdles are plastic resin pellets and it's the raw feedstock of plastic. So okay. it hasn't been actually made into anything yet. Um, fragments of plastic that are, have been made into something and they're in the process of breaking up into smaller pieces are much sharper and, and irregular um, shape where, where these nurdles actually look like a, a little fish egg or a, a small grain of rice. They're, they're quite oval or drum shaped and um, so you can tell them apart just basically by their shape. Uh, we find them being released into the environment um, through either at a manufacturing plant or from trucks and the logistics companies. So it, it really comes down to bad housekeeping when spills don't get cleaned up and then they just enter the stormwater drains and then enter creeks and rivers and into the bay. Yeah, Heidi, it's Anthony. The, the, it's one of those, you know, of the sources of marine plastic, it is kind of one of the sources that is the most akin to just any pollution event, um, you know, and kind of bad management, bad practice. And so it seems to be one of the most solvable ones in that sense. You know, it's not just kind of plastic bags blowing into the sea and breaking down. How, how do you think that's going, the kind of managing the source input one for nurdles? 
Yeah, look, in 2014, we, we got some um, money from the Victorian state government to bring uh, a program from America called Operation Clean Sweep to Australia. And that was designed by the plastics industry to reduce pellet loss. Um, so they were really taking uh, notice of it um, way back. Uh, you know, it's been, been happening since the early 90s over there. So it, it has been something that had been looked at and definitely solvable because if we can just look at the little points in each of the factories or um, the logistics companies, they can then implement, um, you know, whether it's a little bit of infrastructure or a change in practice just to, to clean up those spillers and contain them before they, they exit those premises. And do we know how they how they break down? You know, we kind of know that, you know, essentially every piece of plastic becomes microplastic, you know, ultimately all the bits, you know, the, the, the bottles, the the bags, the, all that kind of stuff. Is the same story with nurdles? Do we know that they break down into smaller pieces of microplastic over time? Yeah, they do. And one of the things that we've been um, really pushing for is to ju- just explain to people that um, plastic, we like to say, actually breaks up and not down. Because if we, we think about True. plastic breaking down, we think that it actually goes away eventually. And, yeah. and it actually doesn't. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so these pellets actually um, have, have a double whammy in the environment is that when they are in the, the ocean, they'll actually stop up toxins that they might come into contact with, like pesticides, um, and, and act like a sponge. And so if an animal eats the plastic, not only are they eating the, the plastic, but they're also then um, ingesting these toxins which can be released into their tissues um, so they, they do fragment they do get smaller and smaller especially when they're being um, you know rubbed up against rocks or, or sand um, just like any other plastic but they have this potential of stopping up toxins as well mm. now you mentioned operation clean sweep Haiti and I wanted to ask you about the great nurdle hunt on next weekend or the great Port Phillip Bay nurdle hunt how do well both of those events um, fit into operation clean sweep so this is a way that the community can connect with industry and with government on this issue. So we're going to have a launch on Friday um, at Westgate Park with the Westgate Biodiversity Team where we have the EPA coming along, we have local government coming along and we also have representatives of industry who have signed up to the program coming along. And so we wanted to show that this issue now has become on local government and EPA ra- radar and they are looking at these bills for a compliance response. But also we have some great industry partners that have already adopted this program and they're going to share how they've actually implemented um, changes in their own businesses to stop the flow and then we want to know let people know exactly you know what are they looking for how they can report and we want to know exactly how widespread this issue is across the bay so this this will help us just fill any data gaps that we might have in that map so far um can industries and businesses still register for that event yeah, absolutely. Um, on the Operation Clean Sweep Australia website, there's a, a link to the Great Nurdle Hunt and it, allow, it shows people what they can do to register. They can come along. It's from 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock on the Friday. And then we just invite people to go out any time over the weekend and see if they can spot a nurdle and then report it through the, the Tangaroa Blue um, data collection app so that we can add that to the map. I was having a look at your website last night and there's a fair amount of guidance in terms of what needs to happen. And I guess for someone who hasn't done it before or wondering how they or their family can participate it's a pretty simple thing to do Uh, what should um, what should people do if they are interested you mentioned the website do they need to register or can they just kind of go and have a look and see what what is expected from them from your perspective 
We asked if they'd like to come along on the Friday just to register. We're going to have a bit of a lunch session too, so that'll help us with catering. Um, but if they wanted to get out on the weekend, it's just a matter of getting out there and reporting. Um, there's an email address there, so once they have a look at those guidelines, if they have any questions, just send us an email and we'll, we'll get back to them so they know exactly how to report. Um, and they can either do it with the app or they can actually download a paper sheet if they're more comfortable doing it that way and, and report um, back to us in, in that manner. So anybody can get involved. And, um, you know, you've got to get down on your hand and, hands and knees to find these things. So <laughs> people actually get really surprised that they've never seen them before. But once they kind of see them the first time, they'll see them everywhere, I think. <laughs> that's it, isn't it, Heidi? Once you actually kind of look in the sand in particular and suddenly you go, oh, gosh, that's not a sand grain anymore. That's an hurdle. You can't not see them. That's, that's exactly right. And, and look, we're, we're really excited that both the industry and through the EPA and the local councils that we've been working with have, have a, you know, really started to, to take on board these microplastics issues. Sometimes people think that because these items are really small, they actually don't have an impact. Mm. Um, but they do, and they're, they're much more likely to be ingested if they're very tiny to start off with. So um, just because it's small doesn't mean that it, it's not a problem. What are you asking people to do with the noodles once they find them and record them, Heidi? Should they collect them or leave them where they are? We'd like, if they have the time and the capacity to collect them, we'd love, to, love for them to, to um, collect them. And on the website, there's a PO box that they can actually send them to. So we work closely um, with two international organisations and also a local, um, uh, actually the New Zealand uh, Newcastle University that are doing studies on these microplastics. So um, people can contribute them um, to us so that we, we catalogue them as well by sending them through. Um, it does take a little bit more time, obviously, to sit there and, and count them and, and collect them. But, um, yeah, it'd be great to see if we can get those samples sent through as well. That's awesome, Heidi. Um, good luck with next weekend and with the launch of the event on Friday. Um, if people want some more information in the meantime, where can they go? So it's opcleansweep.org.au and then there's a forward slash the news has a, a big article to, to find it. Um, if they have any questions, just send us a, an email to info at opcleansweep.org.au. Fantastic. Look, all the very best for next weekend. Hope it goes really well and um, looking forward to catching up with you afterwards to find, it, find out how it all went and, um, and what's happening with all these nurdles that people are going to be finding. Excellent. Thanks so much. I hope everyone has a great, great weekend out on the beach. Great. Thanks, Heidi. We'll talk to you soon. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. Heidi Taylor there from uh, Tangaroa Blue, and we'll put those links to what um, they're going to be doing next weekend on our Facebook page. Awesome. We're going to play a quick track. Well, we're going to play as much of a track as we need to to make sure that we have Antarctica on the phone line. So here's Pentecostal Girl. My friend's Pentecostal sister, she's three years old. Indeed, he is in love. David Brody, my friend, the chocolate cake. He is in love with the Pentecostal girl. It is 11 minutes to 10 o'clock, 11 minutes to the doctors, and uh, we have made contact with Antarctica. We have, and uh, look, by way of introduction, it's probably stating the bleeding obvious to say, despite being so large, whales are notoriously difficult to study. They tend not to stay in place for very long. They're huge, they're hard to get samples from, and uh, while we've got continually developing technology to aid that process, 
there's still way more that we don't know. At this very moment, there's a team of 28 uh, experts in krill, whale and biochemistry down in the cold, cold waters off Antarctica and they're addressing questions like this. How krill swarms affect whale distribution and behaviour and uh, how the mix of predators, prey and waste effectively um, can affect productivity in the Southern Ocean. Our mate Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales Australia is one of the 28 scientists on board. We're absolutely thrilled to be able to cross live to Dave, live on location right now in Antarctica to talk about what they've found so far on this epic, epic journey. Good morning, Dave. Welcome back to Radio Marinara from Antarctica. Good morning, Bron and team. It's fantastic to be back and uh, even better from negative 65 south. Unbelievable. We're all spinning out right now. We're just so wrapped that we're actually able to make contact with you. Let's start with where you are. You mentioned negative 65 south. Um, Whereabouts off the coast of Antarctica are you? We're pretty much a direct line from the south of Tasmania, um, probably 100 miles north of the ice edge amongst a few icebergs at the moment and amongst whales also. Um, you've sent through a photo um, to my email address. I will put this up on our Facebook page in terms of what you can see. Can you give us a, a brief visual of, of... Are you on the deck at the moment? I'm looking at the deck from the, the uh, warm confines of the chief scientist. <laughs> and what are, you actually, what are you looking at right now? Right now I can see a fair... Uh, we have very calm seas today, um, but... Fortunately, we have some low visibility, making uh, whale tracking a little bit difficult. Now, I mentioned you've got 28 scientists on board the investigator. Uh, you're covering a whole bunch of different areas. I'm wondering if you could just give us a quick snapshot of uh, who you've got on board and the areas of science that they're covering with this expedition. Uh, that's right. We have a range of people from a, a huge uh, variety of institutions. We have um, the Antarctic Division, who are, of course are running this voyage. Uh, we have CSIRO employees. We have people from IMAS, Murdoch University in Western Australia, University of Technology in Sydney, uh, University of Washington, uh, NOAA, uh, people from Ireland and South America. And uh, everybody has a role to play, and we're running a 24-7 shift rotation on board so it's very very busy um, what we have found is large concentrations of large baleen whales and that has as we thought coincided with the presence of krill and we're just in the process of working through this particular hotspot now uh, so you mentioned 24-7 rotation. Last year we were uh, speaking with Tim O'Hara from Museum Victoria and he was on um, the first voyage of the investigator talking about this 24-7 rotation as well. What's your perspective on that, Dave? Is there, um, I asked Tim this, is there a pecking order in terms of who gets the 2am shift? How does it work out in terms of which shift you end up getting? Uh, well, I'm very lucky, Bron. I'm a whale observer and biopsier, so I can only work daylight hours. So um, <laughs> our shifts are uh, <laughs> 90 minutes on and 90 minutes off. Um, but unfortunately, the chemist and others have good reason to work through the night with krill trawls and processing samples collected day um so there's a lot of uh uh people with tired eyes at different times of the day having breakfast when they should be having dinner yes i imagine it's something that you'd need to adjust to now the voyage is called enrich it stands for uh euphorzids did i pronounce that correctly 
Correct. It's close enough. It's, that's basically that's krill. krill. Yeah, yep. And so euphorsids and nutrient recycling in cetacean hotspots. <laughs> um, and I noticed that 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 euphorsids are krill and cetaceans are whales. Does this mean the main focus of that expedition is the krill and the whale poop? That is primarily the focus. It's um, it's a lot of ground truthing. So what we're doing here is using uh, sonoboys, which are military items used normally for finding submarines. And they've been repurposed to search for blue whales. Um, using these methods, we can triangulate positions of blue whale concentration, um, and we can move to those areas. Then, of course, the visual team takes over. Following that, the krill team, uh, using echo sounders, locates the krill, and then to ground truth that, uh, we might do a small krill trawl and look at what we find in the uh, in the net, which uh, can be copepods, can be a uh, phytoplankton can be krill. Who knows? We don't know until we get there. And But we have been successful in finding all of those things, uh, making this voyage already extreme. Dave, if a whale comes through one of those patches that you know, you've know you located and is feeding, the baleen whales are feeding, and you mentioned there's krill and copepods and other things in there, do they actually filter out the bits they don't want to eat and kind of you know select the good juicy krill and like let the copepods go? It, it seems uh, unlikely. It's a very, very good question. Um, I would suggest that probably everything that goes uh, within that gulp stays within that gulp mm. and um, ends up in a digestive tract, which, of course, leads us on to plastic pollutants and other things um, that these animals might encounter throughout the water column, which may, in fact, be in the same places as krill and copepods, sea jellies and other things like that. Uh, Dave, it's Dr Surf here. Just a, a quick question on uh, the krill. Do the whales... Uh, eat 24-7 and does the krill move up and down through the water um, during the day and the night? That's, that's a really interesting question and what we've found so far on the voyage in speaking with the krill scientists is we are seeing a bit of a migration to the, to the surface, um, particularly one, uh, a few nights ago there was a large concentration of krill at the surface during a, um, a routine deck inspection. Uh, so they were able to put a dip net, a dip net over the side and grab some krill. But um, that's not to say the krill won't be at the surface during the day as well, which it, it also has been observed on previous voyages. So yes, the, the whales probably do feed um, 24-7 but in terms of time, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're feeding all the time. They're feeding when the prey is available. Mm. I wanted to ask you about the whale poop and it's a practical question around the collection methods. How do you go about collecting whale poop? Now this is something of, uh, in the voyage that we haven't attempted as yet. Um, we're not operating small vessels on this particular voyage. There is a suggestion that we may try to use drones to collect whale poop from the surface if it is seen. Uh, we're already trialling drones for collecting water samples away from the ship so as not to have any sort of contaminants in those samples. So the suggestion is we may be able to do sampling of whale poop with drones. <laughs> I love that. I do too. I, I just think when someone designed drones, I cannot imagine them thinking, I, I think one day we'll use this to collect whale poop. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll send them down to Antarctica and use them to collect whale poop. It's brilliant. Excellent. Dave, you're on a 49-day voyage. <laughs> How many days are you into this trip at the moment and what have you got in the next uh, time before you come back? Well, that's a good question. I've lost track of time. Every day we merges into another one. Um, we left uh, port on the 18th, I think it was, the 19th, sorry, of January. 
Um, so we've been on board for a little while. Our transit was about seven days because we had some uh, testing to do along the way. Um, but since being down here, we've been very productive. So we've got a lot more work to, be, to do. We're only just into our first real experiment uh, using all of the facets and all the disciplines that we have on board. Um, so once we complete this, we'll be moving back into a different type of mode, which will be looking for um, more concentrations of blue whales and, uh, and hopefully in association with krill. Um, everybody on board is very much looking forward to, uh, to spending more time closer to the ice edge, um, but at this stage we're, we're amongst the icebergs. We'd love to catch up with you again uh, in the next couple of weeks as you're further into the trip and, and as, as you uh, do get closer to that ice edge uh, and particularly once you get back as well. I've got one last question um, before we let you go, Dave, around just your personal um, reaction to seeing, is this the first time you've seen a blue whale? Uh, no, I've worked with blue whales on this project since 2012, and I saw my first blue whales in 20, uh, 2007. I uh, just recently returned from Indonesia working with blue whales there. So it's, it's um, regardless of where you see them, they're spectacular to see. And I must say that when you have ice and icebergs in the background of a, the world's largest living animal, uh, it's quite impressive to see and uh, quite a lot of photographers on board of the ship are enjoying that, uh, those moments at this stage. I'll bet they are. Where can uh, our listeners go in the meantime to get some more information and um, and then we'll keep in contact via email and line up the next time for you to, to be on the show. Uh, where's a good spot for people to go and get some information about this amazing voyage? Um, the website is on the Australian Antarctic Division website uh, under the Marine Mammals component. I don't have the website at hand at the moment. Uh, also, CSIRO Investigator if you go on to the investigator, you can access our webcams and you can see the research in action. People were watching two days ago and saw blue whales and photographers and drones flying just from our uh, forward-facing <laughs> webcam. So that's all possible. Brilliant. That's so great. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been awesome that we could catch up with you uh, live in Antarctica for our listeners who've just tuned in. And um, we'll do so again in the next couple of weeks. And in the meantime, have an awesome time down there. Thank you very much, team, and uh, great to chat to you as always. And thank you to the satellites for holding us out for this uh, interview. <laughs> yeah, big props to the satellites. All right, um, thanks so much, Dave Donnelly in uh, Antarctica from Killer Whales Australia, down with the CSIRO. Thanks to our other guests today, Heidi Taylor from Tangaroa Blue, uh, Lisa Hunter from Monash University. It's been a big show. It's been great. It has. There's that music. I'm off. I'm going for a surf. Excellent. Thanks, Anne. We'll see you all next week. Cade's in next week, and uh, we'll be doing a live cross down to the Wooden Boat Festival in Hobart. Uh, and uh, Conversations in the Literal, upcoming event down at Apollo Bay discussing future of sustainability, science, and the realities of primary producer life as part of the Apollo Bay Seafood Festival. So we'll be covering that one as well. So big show already lined up and next week. well done for managing the first ever live cross to Antarctica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> See you all. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors.
This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.